Hello, this is the Skinny the Strong Guy Talk podcast, and today I have on two amazing guests that specialize in getting people in the best shape of their lives, and this is Adam and Akash from RNT Fitness, and yeah, we are going to talk about everything in getting in shape and how you can do so. So Adam, so Akash, tell us a wee bit about what you do. What do we do? Well, we we get people in shape. Um, you know, you get a lot of uh, online coaches. This isn't, you know, uh, wanting to come across bitter, but you get a lot of online coaches that say or promote that they're going to get clients in shape and they just don't seem to follow through with it. Whereas when Akash and I set RNT up, it was all about we need to get the client a result. Yeah. There needs to be some form of, you know, visual before and after for as many clients as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's us. Yeah, I mean, the whole business is based on results, and there's a reason why, you know, our NT stands for results now training, because ultimately, you know, we're in a results uh, producing business, and uh, if you're not getting results, then uh, <laughs> you're just pretending. Okay. You burn out pretty quick. And um, what got you into training? So for me, should we take this one at a time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So for me, um, I, when I was younger, I was always doing lots of sports, football, rugby, boxing, everything. And um, I ended up having Osgood-Schlatter's disease, which is, um, there's like no cartilage in between uh, the, the bones of the knee. So uh, anytime I was doing high impact stuff, it was you know, quite uncomfortable, quite painful. So I saw um, a, oh, what's the word, consultant uh, about that. And he said, he's not worried about that. He sent me for x-rays and it turns out that I had something called Blount's disease, which is like a bowing of the legs where my bone on the outside was growing faster than the inside. If I had left it, then I would have gone over on my ankles when I'm older. So at 15, they decided to operate. So they basically um, surgically broke both my legs, took a wedge of bone out and then put a bigger wedge of fake bone in, pinned and plated it up. And I was in a wheelchair, uh, non-weight bearing for eight weeks. So as you can imagine, after that, my legs had atrophied so much, you know, they were tiny, I was weak, it was like Bambi on ice when I was trying to walk. Um, So for me, what really got me into training was trying to pack on as much size again to my legs as possible and just get bigger overall. And I kind of thought, who are the best people to watch or to listen to when it comes to that? And of course, in my mind, it's bodybuilders. So I buy Flex Magazine, Muscular Development, and so on, and I'd sit there in the gym following these crazy high volume routines that I yeah. probably shouldn't have been doing. Um, but they, you know, they worked at the time as anything's going to work when you're a beginner. And then from there, I got into competing and so on, and that, that's how I got into it. Okay. We'll come onto the business side of it in a bit, but I'll let Akash say how he got into training. Yeah. So my my story is a bit more simple than that. I was uh, I was just a skinny fat kid. And um, at 17 years old, I weighed 58 kilos. So my main goal was just to build size and, uh, you know, fill out my t-shirts, get rid of the moves, pop belly, which uh, yeah. Adam thinks I still have. But <laughs> um, so that, that, that was my main goal, uh, just to main, mainly build size. And um, and then from there, you know, the, the career in fitness sort of naturally developed um, just from the love of uh, the process and, you know, the initial years of training. Yeah, and you both have competed, from what I see, and um, Akash, you've done a bit of powerlifting, from what I've heard in your podcast. So we both, we both, done, we both, done, we both done powerlifting. Both, and, yeah. Um, yeah, Adam's done a, Adam's done powerlifting as well. Okay. And, uh, we've I've competed in bodybuilding three times, uh, over two different seasons, and I think Adam's done what three. Yeah. So basically, so I 
persuaded Akash to compete in bodybuilding, and he had persuaded me to get into powerlifting. Okay. So, so he comes from a predominantly strength training background, really like the powerlifting and strength side of it when we first met. I've always been about aesthetics, body composition, bodybuilding, and uh, we got talking. He gave me a spot when I was benching once. Come away from it and said, "Oh, you, you know, you're quite a strong press. Have you ever thought about doing a powerlifting meet?" And I said, "Well, you know, powerlifting's for fat people. Um, I'm not interested in that." So he's no, he's adjusted. <laughs> um, anyway, he's uh, he's just throwing me off there. Um, so uh, where am I going with this? So. <laughs> <laughs> He's just showing me something on camera that's just throwing me off. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so he, he tried to persuade me to compete in powerlifting, and I said to him, tell you what, here's the deal. I'll do this powerlifting meet if you compete in bodybuilding. And his response is, but I'm Asian. Like, when you see Asian bodybuilders, you know, like, I'm skinny, yeah. I don't have a lot of muscle. So I said, well, I'll take care of that. Like, you program my uh, strength training for the, for the bench press for the next X amount of weeks. And in turn, I'll control your diet and everything. We'll pack some size onto you. We'll pick a show. We'll diet down for it. And uh, the rest is history, I guess. That's kind of how we started. It's kind of got the ball rolling with RNT, you know, three, four years prior. Yeah. So we, we then realized that we're on the same sort of wavelength when it comes to training, nutrition, how seriously we take client results, yeah. um, our passion for, for our own training. Yeah. I mean, it was, off the, it was off the back of that prep that we did. We started doing seminars together. And that's when we realized that we work well together. And um, that's, an RNT kind of grew out, of, grew out from there. That's what I was just about to say. Obviously, from two different backgrounds, there's a good wealth of knowledge. And you can actually complement that. I had on, and you've, talk, you've had him on stuff, Chris Knott. And we yeah, talked yeah. about the differences between strongman training and what you would like to call bodybuilding training, physique training. And yeah. there's a lot that you can take from both. So... Let's, what have, Adam, what have you learned from Akash? Now, Akash, what have you took away from Adam? Without doubt, mine would be training programming. Um, yeah, so what, so, I, like, for example, give us an example where he's changed your sort of thought process on a program. Oh, it would probably be, um, it sounds dumb, but it would be just actually thinking about the way that you structure exercises in terms of like lower back loading and stuff like that. Yep. And exercise sequencing would probably be one of the big things that I learned from him. Um, because what I said to him is, you know, powerlifters, and this is stereotyping, and perhaps, you know, going back years and years and years ago, but for the most part, powerlifters are really fucking clued up with training, but perhaps not so with their nutrition. Yeah. Bodybuilders back in the day were the other way around where we're so ahead of the curve, um, you know, typically speaking, when it comes to nutrition, supplementation, physiology, but so lacking when it comes to training knowledge. Um, you know, you just open up the old flex magazines and stuff, and you know, the routines in there were terrible, half of them. Um, and when I used to train, I remember um, I'd hired a coach at one point, and he sort of got it into my head that the top bodybuilders just train by intuition. Hmm. That you don't have, you know, you don't go into the gym on a set day knowing you're going to train this body part. It's yeah. just like you just go in and you train what feels good. So you just go in, you know, you just, just lift what feels good. And, and I, I did that for a period of time. And it was really talking to Akash and, you know, both on the same wavelength eventually with like progressive overload and training programming frequency. Uh, you know, we worked out that for my psychology, I like very low volume approaches, with higher frequency, hmm. as opposed to higher volume training. Um, 
And that, that would be the big thing for me. And what have you took away from the bodybuilding side when you first met Adam? Yeah, so the two biggest things I learned from Adam would probably be, the first one would be um, how hard you could push on a diet. Mm. So until I competed in bodybuilding, I'd only ever got to say, you know, 10, 12% body fat, where you've got like a beach body look, but you haven't got, you know, you're not ripped. Mm. So, you know, having Adam coach me through that, that was probably the best thing I did did for my career at that stage, just because it allowed me to see, um, you know, the whole spectrum of, 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 you know, of taking your body to, to, to way past its normal limits. And that helped me emphasize with my clients. It helped me push them harder. Um, so I'd say the ability to, to grind and, and know how hard you can push was probably the biggest thing I learned from him. Uh, second, I'd probably say was um, the concept of like refeeds and cheat meals. So I came from, um, you know, a lot of what I used to do before in the past with my clients was I used to run low-carb diets and then do a carb refeed every week without fail. Um, so Adam, Adam told me that, you know, you don't need to give a client a refeed every week or a cheat meal, you know, they should be, uh, based more on intuition and, you know, they should be done reactively rather than programmed in proactively. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say those, those two things are probably the biggest nutrition takeaways I, I learned over the years. And, I, they, and they both came around that time of, um, competing in my first show. Yeah. I've delved a bit in both. So I have, so I've worked in a strength conditioning background. I've done a bit of powerlifting training with a few powerlifters. I've yeah. competed, um, as I was talking to you off air, I'm doing a photo shoot on Sunday, and I totally agree with both of you. So, for example, Adam, you said about how uh, the powerlifters they are very into with their their training and things. So, what I learned from powerlifting was that there's weak points in lifts. There's lifts that complement your squat. There's um aspects that we don't really take into consideration with bodybuilding and things. Bodybuilding, like when I was first introduced, it was like we go in, we bang in thirty rep sets and just do this and then do that and it was quite hardcore but there was never any thought process to right um what am i doing here where am i challenging how can i how can i maximize this where am i strong where am i weak etc etc but then on the flip side of things um and as well probably too from a powerlifting background was i learned a lot about fatigue management which bodybuilders neglect yeah, yeah and recovery um and in regard to that you mentioned about lower backloading but just in general overall uh central nervous system fatigue but then from a bodybuilding aspect there's like um i think to, when you say i'm gonna drop weight to a, a powerlifter they automatically think all strength lost whereas a bodybuilding aspect like you can still um remain a high level of strength while dieting and things like that um like you said about pushing bodybuilders have just a sheer amount of effort in regards to the pushing and sometimes it's just it's not wise how hard they push sometimes they self-sabotage yeah 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 it could be uh diverted more it could be diverted better mm, in a better way yeah i mean their, their mindset's in the right place you know they're willing to grind but sometimes it's to their detriment yeah no 100 percent. and so for the 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 guy listening to this right so say they've been training for a few years but they've never really got any structure what would be your first board of call that you would look at to kind of outline so when you get like a a, a client to you what would you sort of outline that they need to have in place if they weren't if they were wanting to get in the best shape possible sure. training or nutrition or both well let's start off with training okay. you take this one I guess. yeah so 
if you've got a so you're talking about an intermediate guy who's never really seen any results. Yeah. And they want to take it to the next level, right? Yeah. Um, so I like uh, I like training guys uh, on four day four day a week splits, um, a variation using a variation of an upper lower. Um, I typically vary the rep ranges through the week, so I'll have two heavy days uh, where the focus will be in the say five to eight rep range, and then two lighter days where it'll be in the eight to fifteen rep range, and I'll just program I'll program that accordingly. And basically run that through, say, 12, 16 weeks. So I get questions all the time about rep ranges. What's yeah. the deal with rep ranges? What about them? So why would you do a high day? Why would you do a lighter day and a heavier day? So you're going to hit, you're gonna, you're gonna, you want to be able to hit all, uh, all rep ranges and your focus should always be on getting as strong as possible across a wide variety of rep ranges because you're going to hit, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to hit different muscle fibers recruit different levels of motor units, and, um, yeah, just cover all your bases, basically. Okay. That's, yeah, and if your goal is body composition, you, you don't want to be stuck into one rep range. Okay, okay. And then within that, like, say, for example, someone has more time to train, do you then start getting up into body parts and things like that? So, like, a five-day split. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some guys, I'll give them a five-day split if they have the time. Um, I rarely go more than five, uh, but... For most of my people who do photo shoots and, you know, to get in really, really lean, they just train four days a week with weights. Yeah. And then, say they're wanting to get very, very lean, do you get, would you get them lean through get dropping down food, or would it be expenditure, would it be... It would be a mix of uh, diet and cardio. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be through weight training. Weight training, I actually, I keep the volume pretty low to moderate, and I don't really use that as a way of burning body fat. It's more just to you know, build and maintain muscle mass. And when you find, say someone's coming to you and they're quite skinny fat, so yeah. um, with, I know body fat percentages are way off, but say someone's like 15 to 20% body fat, what do you find first? Do you, would you diet them down or would you start to build a bit of muscle first? How would you go about that? I'd get them leaner first, yeah. But the thing is, when you get a skinny fat guy, when they train progressively, they're going to build muscle as well at the same time. Uh, so, but I'd, I'd structure the diet in a way that they're, going to lose body fat but they will get a recomposition effect yeah and then adam how would you approach the nutritional side of things so like is there an example you could talk me through um a recent guy who's gotten shape so the first thing that i do um and let me think of the last yeah i could do this with a guy called ryan actually that did the photo shoot so he was actually uh last year he was pronounced dead for three minutes and the guy's like 41 years old um and he just did a photo shoot last month and looked epic um so with him the first thing i did with him was real simple and it was i just established a, a calorie and a protein goal mm. that was it so i didn't baffle him with carbs and fats or anything so i just set him a calorie goal a protein goal and then i talked him through you know the differences between food sources and in terms of these are my recommended ones the reasons why is that they're not magic but you're probably going to digest them well and if you digest them well, you're going to feel better, you're going to perform better. Um, and then we work together on a meal plan. So he has a quite busy schedule with meetings and whatnot. So a setup that I like to use, and I know this has been, it's been said time and time again by bodybuilders that, you know, you have to eat real food, you know, uh, whey protein is not the same as chicken, blah, 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 blah. I disagree. Um, and for most of our clients, I'd say part of the reason they get results is because we're not expecting them to eat solid food six times a day 
Um, so I tend to structure my clients' meals as whole food meal, liquid meal, whole food meal, liquid meal, whole food meal. So it could be really simple. Breakfast could be eggs on toast. Mid-morning could be, you know, stews could weigh, depending on their body weight, along with 50 grams of oats, maybe some nut butter. Uh, lunch could be a form of lean protein and either rice, potatoes, you know, whatever they digest well. Mid-afternoon, they would repeat the mid-morning meals. They would have their whey protein, oats, nut butter again. And then, uh, depending on their size, they would then have either one or two meals left. So if they're on the lighter side or perhaps female, they would have dinner. So it would be five meals per day. And that would then be like a fatty source of protein. Or if they're slightly bigger, carrying more muscle tissue, I'd add in a sick meal and that would be a pre-bed meal as well. And since implementing this structure, I think both Akash and I, our results of skyrocketed right because it just it's enjoyable it takes the thinking out of it it's simple they're essentially they're eating breakfast lunch and dinner with a couple of you know uh, supplemental meals in between just to help them hit their targets yeah the reason it works so well is firstly they don't have to think as much and secondly uh, it, the prep time is so low yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah the biggest barrier to normal you know six five six meals a day of whole food is prep is so is so like you know tedious um so with this with this structure I mean, eggs take, what, a couple of minutes to cook. And then if you batch cook your meals, uh, if you batch cook your lunch and dinner at the start of the week, you don't even have to worry about, you know, adding the carbs in and, and even that you can batch cook, right? So there's, there's very little, there's very little uh, prep time involved in this, in this structure, which makes it so easy to follow and so hard to fail on. Yeah. Well, I remember, uh, remember Sean. Yeah. Remember Sean? Um, she would only cook dinner and she would follow the setup. And it would work perfectly. So she would go, and you know, this isn't me advising that people you know, go out and, and don't cook and don't meal prep, but she was, you know, she's highly stressed, working a full-time job in the city. So she would simply go to um, M&S in the morning on the way to the office, and she would buy the little pot of the two eggs in there. Mid-morning at her desk, she had her whey protein that she could just down that with nutter. Lunch, she would head to Waitrose, and she would buy pre-cooked chicken, and we would just agree on the amount. Then she'd have a carb sauce with it. She'd repeat the uh, the whey protein meal mid-afternoon, and then dinner was the only time where she would actually go home and physically cook. Now, when I first started training her, I tried getting her to meal prep. I tried giving her you know, a, a more elaborate meal plan, and she just wasn't following it. As soon as I broke it down, simplified it, had her use you know, some supplemental proteins, told her she could get eggs from M&S or Pret or whatever, told her she could have chicken, it just removed a whole stress. Her whole psychology changed, you know. This is now easy. It's, it's fitting in with her lifestyle. There's no excuse. Hmm. And that's the biggest thing. You need to find the diet that fits your lifestyle, right? Yeah. And for a lot of busy people, the, the, the diets that cause too much thinking and then too much stress with meal prep, they're just set up to fail. Yeah. And you see in that, like, how do you motivate someone to help them get, like, gain structure? So if they've just been, for example, going to Costa during their lunch and going elsewhere after, how do you get them to even gain a structure, right? I'm going to have these three meals and these three shakes. How, like, how do you, what sort of language? Because obviously this is more now going to the psychology side of things. Okay, being honest, um, this answer probably isn't what you're looking for. It's going to be a bit of a disappointment. But because of, I perhaps how we've positioned ourselves with, you know, the content that we put out is more aimed at toward the intermediate. Mm. You know, people go on our page and they see the photo shoots. It would be charged relatively high end. I think we're quite fortunate, would you say, Akash, in that most of the clients do come to us and they are ready to change. They're ready yeah. to go, yeah. yeah. They're, they're not 
they're not they're not starting and thinking, oh, I might have a meal here or there. They wanna they kind of wanna go all in. Yeah, they wanna go all in. Yeah. So I know that's a, that's a really crap answer for you. I wish I could, but we're in this position now where we're quite fortunate in that we're able to just kind of call them out on it and be a bit blunt. Where previously, you know, when I was working in a commercial, I have to almost, you know, you have, you have to what's the word? Work with the client, gently baby them a little bit, you know, mm. not offend them. Whereas we're kind of at that stage now where it's people are paying, you know, a decent amount of money to work with us. They've seen our results. They know we're not here to mess around and that if they follow what we give them, they, they're going to get results. Yeah. So if they do start sort of, you know, not following it, we, we in that position where we can call them out, you know, quite bluntly, um, you know, not rude, what, but... Yeah. I think no matter what level you're at, though, if you're a trainer listening to this, you have to be the boss in the relationship, right? Yeah, from... From my perspective, like you two guys have a lot more experience than myself, but over the last few years, um, I find the more I build a reputation, the more I build confidence, which probably would be a big thing from the coach's perspective, and the more the, the coaching becomes more professional, that it is okay just to turn around and call someone out. It is okay to turn around and send someone to a diff- send someone else or tell them to come back when they're when they're ready and things like that. Um, don't get me wrong, you want to work with them, but yeah, I think uh, like sometimes being up front and just turn around and uh, get just saying, what are you doing? Like, what have you done the last few yeah, weeks? If, if you do that, you're going to show you care as well, right? Oh, you're yeah. Gonna you're you're going to show that you're invested in their results, which is the main thing. Because a, a lot of why people come to coaches is because they want someone to have the belief in them that they can achieve the result. And, and if you can instill the belief into them that they can, they can do they can get there, that's going to do more than any training program or diet diet plan or anything like that because then they're going to stick to the plan. They're going to trust everything you say and they're going to buy into the process. And to put this back on the listener, so not just the other coaches, but yeah. for us to gain, I'm sure you would agree, for us to gain an unbelievable uh, result, an unbelievable transformation, there needs yeah. to be a breakdown. There needs yeah, so to be the some... Biggest thing, the biggest thing a client needs to have is they need to establish why they're doing what they're doing, right? Yeah. So, but before they start the process, there needs to be a strong enough why that makes them want to change. And when when things are getting tough, they need to be able to, you know, fall back on that why to help them push through. Yeah. Because those of them who are just kind of doing it to lose a little bit of weight or tone up a little bit or whatever, whatever their goal is, they're never going to really get anywhere. They need to have a, you know, a firm why, a specific goal in place. And it's, it's those that have those like established from the beginning that, that achieve the best results yeah and on that note in regards to achieving the best results so one thing that i've done a few times come um especially recently is from the onset i've stopped uh easing people in and i have just got straight into the deficit i have got straight into nitty-gritty and in one aspect yes there now there needs to be context applied but in one aspect this works amazingly because the person's more motivated than ever because yeah. they're seeing physical results. But to a degree, it can get messy because it is testing someone's willpower. It is changing a lot of habits. What would you? What would be your view yeah, on that? I, I, I mean, I never really. If I if I get a new client and his goal is fat loss, I'll put them straight into the deficit. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't really mess around and because you're gonna get a buy-in, right? Yeah. And if you if you put them on maintenance or a surplus, they're just gonna be, they're gonna they're gonna question why they change all their habits to not see any real results. Yeah. And if someone's someone's listening to this, like say for example, someone uh writes it, took that in a bad way and says, right, I'm going straight into a deficit, and they went really low calorie. Is there any uh, uh, is there any effects from going quite low calorie? 
um, from the onset, like down the line? I think more from like a psychological point of view, they might burn out. I think if we're talking like physiologically, I really don't think there's an issue with it. Um, I mean, naturally, like, you know, we're talking in the context of somebody's here for a result. Okay, is that healthy from a from a health perspective, long term? Definitely not. Um, but when we're talking like somebody's got a twelve week goal, they want to get in shape. Can you smash them straight into a deep deficit from the off? Physiologically, yes. Psychologically, though, are they probably going to burn out? And, and adherence starts to wane. I mean, we, we used to have these debates uh, back when we were working in London with the other trainers, um, this whole argument of going low to high, where, you know, they were starting, like, women on, like, 90 calories, they were starting guys on, like, 1,200 calories, and their argument was that as they get leaner, you know, we're taking them from low calories and we're, we're ramping their calories up. It's like, no, dickhead. You're taking them from, like, 900 calories to 1,200 calories. You're taking a guy from 1,200 to 1,500. That's going very fucking low to low, um, which just... If you're doing that for four to six weeks, sure, you could probably get away with it. But you try motivating a client to do that for you know, 12, 16 weeks, depending on where their body fat levels are at or where they want to get to. My approach, and Akash's approach for the most part, is I want my clients eating as much food as possible, doing as little movement as possible, while still losing body fat at an acceptable rate. It's faster than what they would do. And then, as we set deadlines, then I ramp things up. So, if I've got 16 weeks to work with somebody i'm going to start them they're going to for sure they're going to start in a deficit they're going to be losing body fat from day one but i don't want them to feel like they're dieting at this point i want it to be relatively easy and then throughout the process we up the ante we up the ante and then if needs be inside that last two to four weeks well i'll throw the kitchen sink at them um and that's because like the lights at the end of the tunnel they're already lean this is the part where they start seeing changes almost daily that's mm. when I think there's merit to sort of going. Yeah, exactly. That's that's when you can go all in. Yeah. And then, so, what would be the difference between what what would be the difference between a mini cut and then a long cut, in regards to that? So, when you go into a mini cut, because I know you've just completed one, Adam, um, mm-hmm. would you jump straight down into calories and then jump straight back up? How would you go about that? Um, and things like that. The point I'm trying to get across is to for the listener to kind of understand that the reason why the likes of you guys are so good at what you do is because you're able to make these tweaks and I'm trying to give them an insight to these tweaks between like mini cutting, week on week, how much should they be losing, how much should they be gaining, things like that. Okay, so so <clears throat> I think it really, um, the first thing is, again, a terrible answer, it depends. Yeah. And by that I mean... If you're taking a beginner doing a mini cut, I think you do need to be a little bit conservative um, with the the caloric deficit. But if we're talking somebody that's already got some muscle tissue in their frame, they can train well, you know, got a decent base level of strength, then I really think people underestimate just how hard you can go. And myself, and as as an example, if you followed it, is my calories were over four thousand um, going into it, and I think I would straighten it like. 2 2 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about four to five weeks long. And within two weeks, I pulled my calories down to what was it, Akash? Like 12? 12? This most recent one. Yeah, yeah, something like that. 12. It's about, within two weeks, I was on 12 to 1400 calories. Um, 
and steps. And it's, you know, people are like, what the? And the, the key that I want to mention is that, you know, this is me. I know my body quite well. I know what I respond to. I know how hard I could push myself. Um, I wouldn't necessarily get clients doing that, um, especially not over the over a long-term diet, for sure. Um, the, the, sorry, the point, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. The point is, for a short, sharp diet, if you're an intermediate, you carry muscle tissue and you are strong, you can pull calories lower than you think you can without losing muscle tissue, as long as your lifts aren't dropping off, yeah. which, in my case, the reason why I stopped it about seven days early was because right towards the end, my performance in the gym did start to drop off. So it's at that point that I would then start to increase calories. But for a good four or five weeks, I was able to go you know, pretty damn hard. Um, and I really just regulate my appetite. My, if my goal is to elicit as much fat loss in a short time frame as possible, then I'm just going to take my calories as low as my hunger will allow me while still being able to function and do work. Mm. So for me, that was going from over 4,000 down to about two to 2,400 calories right off the bat. And I was hungry. I was very hungry. Um, so I would use diet drinks. I would, you know, implement a little bit of fasting. I would have an apple here and there because, you know, packed with water and fiber and so on. But after that first, like, 10 days, my hunger had disappeared. I'd adapted to the diet. And then I shipped it again. I took it down to maybe, like, 1,700. Then I pulled it right down to about 13-ish, between 12 and 14. Um, and I would basically, I would just fast until I'd have an apple about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then from there I'd fast until about 12. I'd break the fast with, um, I think like chicken and half a pouch of, uh, microwave rice. I'd then go and train. I'd then have just whey protein afterwards. Uh, my next meal would have been, uh, more chicken or white fish with some veggies. Then another whey protein meal and then some eggs before bed with some Greek yogurt. And, uh, I wasn't hungry. I was fine. I could do it. So the caveat whereas, here, the caveat. <laughs> whereas, if this was you know a twelve to sixteen week diet, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't end up as low as that because it's a longer time period. It's more sustainable. You know, I'd have probably gone from four thousand calories to maybe like three, four, three, five. Introduce a little bit of cardio, and maybe I'd have taken it to three, and you know it'd have been like a step by step, very gradual process where. You, you can't predict it, but I would probably have ended the diet on about 2,000. Mm. Whereas this time around, because it was short and sharp, I need to get as much body fat off as possible. And I'll tell you what, um, I wasn't going to do this, but next Tuesday, um, I'll put up the before and after of what I did in five weeks. Yeah. So I do it as a transformation Tuesday, so you can keep an eye out for it. And you'll see, the difference is, I guess you'll say, it's pretty drastic, right? Yeah. Yeah, he pushed himself hard. I mean, the caveat is Adam's experience in this, right? So yeah, for yeah, a beginner yeah. or even, even your client base, Anyone listening, they probably shouldn't be doing what, what you just said. Um, <laughs> so as a, and, but Adam's done the long preps as well, so he knows for himself that he can do short preps and not lose muscle mass or, or strength to an extent. Um, so for the majority of people, the 12-16 week diets are better until you become an experienced dieter and you know your body, you know how it responds to different stimulus, and then you can experiment with you know shorter, harder cuts. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, just to put it in context, as Akash said, like I've done... He's done know, it for ten, over 10 years, right? So it's, it's a completely different... Yeah, I've done it for a long time. I've done 17-week diets, 18-week diets. Um, yeah. And then I just, I get a kick out of, of of doing these short ones where people are like, oh, that's crazy, you won't be able to do it. And lo and behold, I turn it around and I get a bit of a, a mental kick out of it. But if we're, if we're going to apply this to your readers, uh, sorry, your listeners, um, with the, the, the mini cuts... 
if we're going to go like general guidelines, really, like when I do it with clients, it depends on where they're at right now. But as a good guide, you could probably, and this is just really generalizing, I don't do this with clients, but if I'm just trying to give advice out there generally without knowing where each client is at, I would say, if you're in a surplus, you're gaining well, body fat has crept up a little bit and you need to tidy it up, just remove carbs from all your meals, apart from pre and post training, um, add in some cardio on two of your off days per week. And because it's only going to be like a, you know, typically like a mini cut is only what, two to four weeks for the most part, two to six max. Mm. Um, I'd probably just add in like some interval training on uh, two of your rest days, or maybe even just set a step goal, do that for a couple of weeks, and then maybe pull like the post-workout carbs, and you can probably survive for a couple of weeks on just pre-workout carbs, yeah. and leaving your protein and fats where they are, whereas what I do is I pull my fats right down as well, so the total calories are lower. Yeah. And what, for the listener, talk a little bit about, you said about carbs in the round our workout, why is that important? So, we, you know, uh, let's talk pre first. Pre-workout carbs are important because they're going to, for the most part, they're probably going to you know, fuel you uh, when you're in the gym. So I'm a big fan of pre-workout carbs just to give me that energy so I, you know, I get better muscle contractions. It, you know, almost maybe a mini placebo as well is, you know, you have some oats or whatever you have pre-workout and you, you're telling yourself, right, I'm setting myself up for the workout. It's, it's part of the psychological side of it you know, like delivery coming just ignore that hold on two two seconds I cash you you look over <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying uh, yeah for, for, <laughs> for pre-workout carbs yeah it gives them the mental uh, the mental boost and, and the, the physical energy to train and then the post-workout carbs you know you can live off them if, if you need to if you know if you're pushing your diet hard the post-workout carbs aren't as, aren't as as necessary, so you can. I'd rather pull those as opposed mm. to the pre-workout ones, just because if you've got the pre-workout ones, then you're going to keep the performance higher. And if we can keep performance higher as you're dieting harder and harder, you're going to have a greater chance of you know keeping your muscle mass, which is the most important thing, right, when you're dieting. Yeah. And if you started to notice if someone's performance was deteriorating, what would be your first border call in terms okay, so, of changing? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, if they told me uh, that it was a one-off. I'd say, okay, let's wait another session and see what happens. Because you're going to get those days and when you're dieting that, you know, strength just isn't there. Um, so, But if it happens, say, three times in a row or two, three times in a row, then I'd probably say ah, this, I, it might be time for slightly deloading the training or there might be the case of uh, maybe need a refeed or an extra, even just an extra rest day. That helps sometimes. Um, yeah. So, you know, take, take a day off cardio, for example. So... Just basically reducing the, the, the overall diet, stimid, diet stress can be enough to kind of keep the strength uh, kicking back up again. And in addition to that, like for any listener out there, what I would probably say is like, yes, we are trying to like get in shape, but we need to look at bigger things as well. So we need to look at stress, what's going on in terms yeah. of workload, what's going on in terms of and, and, sleep. Um, so I just want to add on, sorry, one more thing on the strength thing is um, sometimes when the lifts go down, it's not always a cause for concern because if it's only if it's only a slight drop off, your relative strength actually you got to look at relative strength as well. Um, so things like pressing, for example, is always going to be the first thing that goes uh, on a diet. It's just the way it is. Um, but if you're say you only say you're pressing five kilos left, but your body weight's dropped say ten to twelve kilos, you've actually got a lot stronger. Yeah. Um, so that it can't. It's not always a cause cause for concern. You've got to just look out for those sudden drops. Um, that's when yeah. that's when things might be might be a little bit off. 
Like but yeah, back to your stress point. That, that, that's a that's another one. Um, that's important to look at as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm back, by the way. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's don't the, worry. The problem with uh, living alone in a, a flat is uh, it's a protein delivery. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> so that's the only thing about having a business partner that can take over. <laughs> don't worry. Um, yeah, on the stress point, some things that I would notice is that, yeah. for example, there might be an emotional stress, so there might be something going on with their partner, things like that. There might be work stress. There might be, like, we need to remember when we're, uh, if we're pushing hard, especially if we're draw, say we're on a more aggressive deficit, it can put stress on our systems and affect our sleep. If we're not getting good quality sleep, that can affect things like our blood glucose levels, that can affect our hunger levels, that can affect overall just energy. So like, yeah, we do need to play it. We do need to take these into consideration when we're dropping body fat and when we're looking at performance and I mean, not just yeah, inside. Sorry, that's inside. one of the, sorry, sorry, but, yeah that's me that's me yeah. <laughs> so that, that's one of the reasons why earlier on you asked um, about weight training and how many days a week we do it and one of the reasons why i like four days a week is because it, it balances that stress and stimulus and sorry the stimulus and recovery perspective what i found with most busy people um is if they're training more than more than four days a week and they've got all these other life stresses going on they just can't recover mm. um so that's one of the reasons why um i prefer say four days a week training and then maybe no more than one hit session even and that hit session might not even be there because hit can be really hard to recover from. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, Adam, you add anything to that? No. And no. like, so let's take a, a bit of a, a bit of a thing. So out of the clients that do the best for use, what kind of things do you commonly notice? Because I've started to notice there is a few trends between the clients that get the best results and the clients that don't get such good results. Now, not so much from my perspective, but more their whole approach to things, their mindset, that what they actually act on, what their lifestyles are like, etc. What have they you noticed? They go all in. They go all in. Hmm. They, they realize that we're the experts. You know, without being arrogant, that's what we do day in, day out. It's what you do day in, day out. That's why they've come to us. They've paid us money. And they don't second guess. Yeah. They might ask educated questions, which we would encourage, you know, because they want to learn and they want to educate themselves, which is awesome. It's a big goal of ours when we work with clients. But they'll execute. The clients that don't get the results are the ones that just come up with excuses from day one. They come up with questions in a negative way as to, you know, why am I doing this because of this, this, and this, you know, oh, I've read here that they are the clients that I'll happily answer their questions and I'll entertain them. But, you know, 12, 16 weeks down the line, have they got the jaw-dropping transformation that they've seen on the website? Probably not because they're just, they're overanalyzing everything and they're, they're coming up with reasons as to why they shouldn't be doing this, why they shouldn't be doing that. The ones that get the best results, the ones that they sign up, they just go all in. They trust us implicitly. They come up with, as I said, educated questions that make sense rather than sort of negative questions. And uh, and almost always they're the ones that they just get such quicker results. That is one thing that I want to really touch on and elaborate on for any listener here is that one thing, and especially this, this podcast is mainly aimed at men, and us men, we stick to our own beliefs and own like mad, especially when it comes to training. This training protocol is the best. I know best. This, this, this. And we never actually just sit down and let, right, what's this guy saying and how's it going to happen? And I find girls, 
so much uh, like I don't coach as many girls anymore, but I find girls so much more responsive to that that they let the coach be the coach and the guy the the guy almost has an ego because they don't want that coach to be the coach sometimes. Would you have you ever found that? Yes, I would say um, in terms of initially the difference between males and females initially is the females are almost always more open as you say because there's, there's very little ego there typically so off the bat i would say that females are often easier to kind of convince them however with most of my client base being female some of them are a pain in the ass down the road you know um uh, yeah, the psychology side of it and second guessing everything once they've established that relationship with you that's when the the women I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's like it's swapped around. Yeah. Women are easier within the first couple of months, I'd say, um, whereas guys could be a little bit resistant. But then once you've got a guy's trust going forwards, the coaching relationship is easy. I've got guy clients that have been with me for you know over a year, and it's they just give me the stats they need each week. I tell them what to change, and that's it. Whereas it's almost like it flips for a woman where she starts off really easy, and then once you've built that coach-client relationship and there's a bit of rapport, that's when they start digging their heels in. It's a bit of a psychological battle. And Do you agree, Akash? Yeah, 100%. And within like the last year, what have you picked up in term- and changed within your whole sort of journey, coaching journey? So what have you changed that you would have done a year ago <coughs> to now and why? Oh, good question. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, what's been the big thing that I've changed recently within the last year? Um... Sounds, sounds really arrogant here. Uh, in the last year, I haven't changed a huge amount. Um, I'd say just, again, just trying to simplify things for clients. Like every year, I think I'm just making the process simpler and simpler and more refined so it's easier to follow and adhere to. Yeah, I'd probably say the same. I mean, I can't think of it. Things I've tried more of this year, maybe a little bit more of the fasting stuff. Uh, but Maybe it's just me being more open-minded to everything and, and just looking at um, not putting any dogma behind any any tactic and just using what tactic's best for the client. Yeah. I would... That's something I've always done, but I think more and more now is I don't really... We don't really have any sort of camp, per se. We just do whatever the client needs. I would 100% agree with that. And ways that I've actually... I find that I've made things simpler for clients is, for example, a step goal instead of cardio. And we've already mentioned that. But that's massive, and that's been a big, big as- that's been a big, big aspect in terms of my results with my clients. And like, there's a client tomorrow getting ready for a photo shoot and things like. That. And like, I find that massive. Other things would be like, instead of especially when I'm coaching other coaches, is instead of getting eight hours sleep a night, let's hit a weekly goal of sleep. Yeah. So you have to catch up and I'm in a middle day nap or later at the weekends um other things like you mentioned at the start about a calorie and a protein goal that is massive like you can get in very good shape with a calorie and a protein goal um if for example this if you're a high executive or you're in a in a fast-paced job and it is just top priorities sometimes we have to realize that if we add in more stressors in terms of you're at, you have to hit this exact macro that can just be an underlying issue in the back of our head non-stop so a calorie and a protein goal can be amazing it's, it's great i i really 
I think it's underrated. I don't know why more coaches don't use it with the beginner clients coming into the intermediate phase. You know, the, the goal is for me is take on a new client, <clears throat> set the calorie and a protein goal, educate them on that. As they get more and more into it, then let's look into, you know, as they get leaner, then let's look into specific carbon and fat ratios if needs be uh, and find out kind of where they, where they function best. And then from there, if you want, you can then delve into nutrient timing and so on. But I think for most clients, just forgetting all that technical stuff and just here's the bottom line, you know, uh, expenditure needs to exceed what's coming in. This is what I've worked out to theoretically be about right for you. I want you to hit a minimum protein threshold to retain as much muscle tissue as possible. Just hit that protein goal. Don't go over your calories. Simple. And um, when clients do that, they, they just take, it's, it's just so much easier. Like, even yesterday, I was with a client, and he's actually a DJ, and he has a lot of events during the day in terms of meeting with people, eating out, things like that, but then he also has the drinking side of things now and again, and we are trying to work on getting him in shape, and one aspect that I never would have thought, like, a few years ago that we could even look at was, right, okay, we've got a weekly calories, but you see on your days where you don't have to socialize and you don't have to do anything... I went into a deficit. Yeah, and I have a big deficit. So, for example, mm. it is literally lean meat and veg. And, like, from, like, my old sort of point of view would be like, oh, you need to have this, you need to have this. Every four hours, you need to eat a meal. Um, but over a weekly basis, he's dropping body fat, and it's fitting what he can do. Is it the best in terms of health? I wouldn't necessarily say so, but is it going to get him to where he wants to be and hopefully in line a few habits and he'll actually be in the gym? Yeah, so... And it is about, as you say, making it fit their lifestyle. 100%. And, you know, although we say, like, you know, is it optimal from a health point of view to do that? Well, you know, playing uh, devil's advocate, him dropping body fat and him having that mental buy-in and wanting to train and feeling like he's achieving something, uh, that's, that's that can only do uh, positive things for his health. And do you find often, like... Uh, social like occasions can be a big barrier for people i don't think so i don't think so i just i get my clients to feedback to me I'll, i will ask lots of my clients every so often periodically oh have you got any social events coming up in the next few weeks mm. for two reasons one is so that if they i tend to ask this question as they're getting leaner and as they're really ticking the boxes so that if i feel that like a refeed or a free meal is is warranted at some point i can tie it in with the social event um, so I ask it for that reason, so I try and tie in with that. And then the other is that just that I'm aware of what's going on. And then what I'll tend to do is, and all my clients implement this now, and they say that it's it's really simple to do, is where, where you've told this guy to have the protein and veggie days, um, you know, on days that he's not being social, I just get my clients to do that during the day if they've got a, a meal out that evening. So I had a client two nights ago message me saying um, that she's been invited out to her to meet her boyfriend's parents and they go into like a nice restaurant, what should she do? So I just said to her, real simple, just during the day leading up to it, just stick to, you know, water and diet drinks, keep your calories low from, you know, uh, liquid beverages, and then um, just stick to lean proteins and vegetables. So, you know, whey protein, white fish, chicken, prawns, all that sort of stuff with green veggies. And when you get to the evening meal, just relax. Your body weight is probably going to go up by a pound, two pounds maybe from, you know, the different food, it's cooked differently, sodium and so on, but it'll come straight back off within three to five days. You'll be back at baseline and uh, it's so simple to do. Yeah. 
And then I, I've been actually watching on a, your video and I, I've actually shared it to a few clients and stuff. It's amazing um, about like the sort of last minute tweaks in the last few weeks. So you've made a tweet um, in regards like peak week and in regards to fat loss supplementation. Could you share a bit, of, a bit about that to the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, give me give me a topic and I'll... So say for, say for example, well, let's start first talk on, you were saying about like the alpha cells, the beta cells. So let's live to give the listeners an insight to what actually happens during fat loss. Okay. So let's, let's talk fat loss supplements. Um, so most fat loss supplements for the most part are probably overrated. Um, when you see fat burners on the shelves, um, you know, supplement stores, really the key ingredient in most of them is probably going to be caffeine which, you know, increases calorie expenditure. And if you can titrate your dose up to around 600 milligrams per day, that doesn't have to be in one hit, 600 milligrams per day of caffeine, that will equate to, uh, what did I say, what was that question? Was it about a pound and a half? Pound of, fat, pound of extra fat loss a month. So between one and 1.5 pounds per month of additional fat gain. On top, you know, this is, if you're nailing your cardio, nailing your diet, you're doing everything, and you add 600 milligrams per day of caffeine, that's going to equate to about an extra pound of fat loss, um, which towards the final stages of a diet, yes. an extra pound is, yes. is significant. You know, you doing the photo shoot this week, for example, you're noticing, I guess, yeah. every pound that comes off, you're seeing more and more definition. Yeah. Um, so caffeine is one of the big ones. And how um, does that occur, the pound? How, how did you equate to that? It's in a, one of Lyle McDonald's books. He works out the, uh, the rate that it increases energy expenditure by, and then roughly how many calories that'll expend per day, which I think it's between 100 and 150 calories per day. Yeah. So when you multiply that by uh, seven days per week, 20 yeah, days, yeah, 30 yeah, days yeah. in a month, it equates to about a pound, um, which for just at, you know some caffeine capsules is what I tend to get my clients to use rather than black coffee, just so we yeah. can calculate the dose. And I would just get them to work up to it. Obviously, you have to, it's a client by client uh, basis. Some people don't handle caffeine very well. But nowadays, most people are stimulant junkies anyway, <laughs> walk around drinking their cans of Monster, so they, they usually handle caffeine pretty fine. And I'll tend to start them on like 200 milligrams in the morning uh, if they're going to do cardio, and then I might take it to uh, an afternoon dose of 200 milligrams, and then I'll bump in uh, their morning dose up to 400 milligrams. So do 400 milligrams in the morning, 200 milligrams in the afternoon. This is, you know, taken up over a period of time. It's not given from day one. Um, oh. I'll so, give you. So, so, so there's that, which uh, could help with fat loss. So caffeine is massively underrated. Uh, also, the, the a side effect of caffeine is that for most people, it also helps to reduce appetite, um, which is only going to make dieting easier because of the stimulant effects, the adrenaline and so on. Um, and then my other two big fat loss supplements is one that, again, I don't understand why more trainers don't use it. I've written about this one quite a lot, and that's Yahim being HCL. And this is where we'll talk about the receptors. So we have uh, different receptors that are like attached to fat cells throughout the body. And the main two types are alpha and beta 2 receptors. So alpha 2 receptors seem to be the ones that are linked to our stubborn body fat. So in guys, it tends to be around the midsection and the low back. In women, it seems to be around the hips and the thighs. So these area that they're known as rich in alpha 2 fat cells. Alpha-2 fat cells tend to have a poor, poor blood flow, and they suck at mobilizing uh, fatty acids from the cell. So for fat loss to work, um, there's like a couple of steps to the process, and most people don't know this. Step one is that the fatty acid inside the fat cell has to be mobilized, and that means that basically it has to be released from the fat cell. 
Step two is it needs to be transported away from the fat cell because fatty acids can easily be restored again, um, which again, some people don't know about. So we want it to come out of the fat cell and it needs to be transported through um, yeah, the circulatory system into the muscle and then to be uh, oxidized as fuel within the mitochondria. And then we tend to expel it. And again, this is just a, maybe a fun fact for some people. When people wonder where fat goes, the largest percent of it, you breathe out. It's carbon dioxide. Yeah. Uh, which is quite interesting. Um, so so these, these fat cells that have, um, that are stubborn, they, one, they tend to suck at mobilizing fatty acids for fuel. But two, they tend to have a poor blood flow as well. Um, so when fatty acids are released, they're not taken away from the area through the, you know, via blood flow to the muscle tissue. Yeah, uh, and HDL is called an alpha two antagonist in that it, I told you the phone would go, didn't I? Um, <laughs> in that, um, I can't talk this episode though. I had a delivery. Whoops. Um, so what alpha, uh, what yehimbine HDL does, it's an alpha two antagonist, which basically means it inhibits the alpha receptors on these cells. So it helps to switch off these stubborn fat cells and makes fatty acids more easily mobilized. So that's huge. Um, and then we can take it a step further by using something like what's called a beta-2 agonist, which will then speed up fat loss in these fat cells that give up fat more easily. So if you go back to like classic bodybuilding days, Ben, you've probably heard of like uh, ephedrine, these sorts of things which I, we're not advising people take, but they are sort of beta-2 agonists. Nowadays, what we can use is like higenamine, uh, which is found in Shreddable Project AD supplement. So that's uh, illegal. You won't, you won't want to take it if you're BMBF. So it's, it's outruled uh, as a, like a banned substance if you compete in a drug-tested show, but it's perfectly legal to take in terms of if you've got the average clients wanting to improve position and doesn't compete in a duration. There's absolutely no issues with them taking it. Um, so, so, yeah, so caffeine works very well. It's a general stimulant. Uh, Yehimbine HCL works via switching off stubborn fat cells. And then something like higenamine would be great at uh, uh, ramping up uh, beta to uh, fat cell receptors. Fat loss supplement. Um, and that is, this one surprises people as well, and that's nicotine. Yeah. So nicotine gum, for example, um, you know, I'm not telling people to go buy some Benson hedges or whatever. <laughs> um, and again, this is more for like the intermediate advanced clients towards the end stages of fat loss where hunger is really becoming an issue, cravings, um, using uh, like nicotine gum, you don't get the ill uh, you know, health effects that you would through smoking. Um, but nicotine is a stimulant like caffeine. So it helps to increase energy expenditure. But what's cool about nicotine is that it has a really short half-life. So if you're the sort of person that happens in the evenings, like when you're watching TV, you can actually get away with using nicotine gum at that point, and it won't affect your sleep. So is that why, say for example, a smoker, if they were to smoke, that they say that um, they lose their appetite? Yeah, yeah. So nicotine helps because it's uh, a mild stimulant. It will help crush appetite. But another way that it works really well when you're dieting is nicotine releases dopamine as well. Yeah. So throughout a diet, you know, as we, we get further and further into it, we're not getting the you know, dopamine hits. And you, you know, as you probably know, Ben, as you reach these final stages, you can feel, you know, at times your life sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's why when I'm, when I'm eating, I'm a nightmare for online shopping. 
I sit there towards the end of a diet. I can't help it. Like, Akash doesn't get affected by this, but I can't help it. I'm ordering like new t-shirts. I'm ordering whatever. I'm ordering new supplements that I wouldn't usually take, new pre-workouts. I don't really use pre-workouts. And my guess is that it's because I'm trying to search for this like, dopamine hit from somewhere. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, using nicotine gum is kind of twofold. So one is it's going to help increase energy expenditure and crush appetite. And two, it's going to give you a little hit of dopamine, which is just going to improve your general mood. And of yeah. course, the, the natural question is, well, am I not going to get addicted to it? Um, and if you don't have an addictive personality and you can you just use these things as a when, just like you would with caffeine, your him being, no, you won't have any issues with addiction to nicotine gum. Yeah. It's completely different to smoking it. And if you just look at it as another, another tool in the toolbox, final stages, you're doing a photo shoot, you're doing a competition, hunger's really creeping in, you know, you're struggling in the evenings, that's when using something like nicotine can work. So just to wrap up, to summarize for you for this one, uh, caffeine, but for almost every client, they can definitely use caffeine unless they have heart issues. Uh, caffeine's going to be great. It just generally, as I said, if you can titrate up to 600 milligrams, that's an additional pound of fat loss, which doesn't sound like a lot, but on top of your normal fat loss. So if you're already losing, say, a pound a week, four pounds a month, this is going to take that to five pounds a month. Um, your Hymbean HDL, massively underrated. If you have stubborn body fat and you've really been dieting yeah, hard, there he is. Can help. Did you find oh, me? Your videos, your videos suddenly come on. Oh, there we are. There you go. Um, the only caveat to your himbeam, so I said with caffeine, that you probably wouldn't want to take it if you have heart issues. Uh, your himbeam would be if you suffer from anxiety, you might not want to take it. Um, what else? Hegenamine, uh, so a beta 2 agonist. Again, this is going into advanced territory. Um, if you really want to push the envelope, that can help mobilize fatty acids even faster in beta uh, fat cell receptors. And then the last one will be the nicotine gum. And that's just to improve general mood, kill appetite, and increase energy expenditure. And when you're presenting someone's physique for that last week for the photo shoot and things like that, would there be any board of call that you would usually have, any protocol? Um, the more I get into this, I actually would um, make sure someone's quite depleted and um, try not to have any fatigue going in the system whatsoever, try to sleep a little bit more, and then every single morning, see how, see how they look. You want to kind of get a fuller look. Um, what would you guys like? And then I guess you want to talk yours? But basically for me, uh, in a nutshell, for most females, and uh, most of my natural clients, um, I will just simply do what you said. The goal is to just chill out. So I'll reduce their cardio. I'll stop them from hitting failure in training. We'll probably stop training three days out from the show uh, or photo shoot, uh, except for maybe a little bit of pump work to help with nutrient petitioning, but that, their real training is going to stop. Um, and then as you said, it's the case I just give them a few more cards. There's nothing overly complicated. Most of my clients that have done photo shoots, um, the ones that did it in the last month, it was just through WhatsApp. It was so simple. You know, I didn't do a fancy plan or anything. It was just day by day. Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's do this. Let's do this. And it was really simple. It was just you know, their normal diet and lowish carbs during the week. It was then uh, bringing their cardio down. And then a couple of days before, it was just giving them some carbs. One of the guys, Ryan, um, he's thicker set. Um, he gained a lot of body weight after a free meal that he had a few weeks prior. So I, knew, so I gave him carbs at three days out, two days out, and then one day out, I reduced them to just help the water kind of dissipate. Whereas there was a more slender guy, Simon, that has no issues with retaining water or anything, really small guy. So we carb loaded him right into the show. He was doing large amounts of carbs the day before and everything. Um, and the female clients, it was the same thing. It was just like, oh, you know, 150 grams of carbs, 200 grams of carbs, nothing crazy. 
So I keep it very, very simple, which sounds boring, but it works. Yeah. Where I get a little bit more complicated is if I have uh, enhanced clients, which I don't know if you go into that on this podcast, um, but with those clients that are taking, you know, let's call it special supplements, they're probably going to be retaining water, and we, we do need to mitigate that in some cases. So that's where potentially simulation will come in. But for the average listener to this, and 95% of my clients that are all natural, um, I just simply give them some more carbs and get them to relax. Yeah. And would you be doing Rakash? Um, yeah, so from a week out, I'll start tapering down cardio, start tapering down steps, uh, both of which I think help a lot with, uh, with fatigue management and springing out everything. Um, and then from about four five four days out or so, I'll add extra carbs. Um, I, the, the, as we start that final week, I'll deload the training. And then when we add the carbs in, I'll time them in with um, some some what I call super pump worker, which is just basically really hard, you know big pump workouts just to help the carbs go into the muscle. Um, besides that, and then I and then I just taper them down. So I do a front load and then just taper down. Yeah, otherwise other than that, pretty much similar to Adam's. Uh, it's not nothing complicated. And then yeah. after the photo shoot, would you basically just give them a bit of time off and then try to, would you go, like I've heard people say, right, you go back to week four, you do this, you do that. and All you do is you order three boxes of Krispy Kremes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of Reese's. Think of Krispy Kremes now. What I tend to do with my clients is I get them to relax that evening, go out for a meal, and my big advice is make it about the experience with yeah. the people that you haven't been able to eat with, whether that's your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your family, friends, whatever. Go enjoy that. Next morning, have a decent breakfast, decent lunch, and then just gradually let's get back on track. And they're probably, I mean, I, I tend to write it fresh, but it's probably going to equate to, as you said, the macros that they're on three or four weeks ago, probably going to be a, maybe, maybe around that ballpark. So it's not going to be as extreme as what they were, you know, the last yeah. few weeks going into it. Uh, but I'm not going to put them straight into a surplus or anything. So it'll be halfway in between. Just to, I, you know, right after a show or a photo shoot, especially if it's their first one, it is like a bit of a danger zone, you know, that first yeah. week because that's where binging and stuff can. So I want to just try and mitigate that as much as possible. But for 95% of clients, no matter what we tell them, they are going to have the odd binge and the odd meal off plan. If they dieted to very low levels of body fat, it's never the goal. I'm going to tell them everything that I've done in the past to try and reduce the chances up. These diets, we're controllably starving ourselves. Mm. You've just controllably starved yourself for you know X amount of weeks. So your body's response is it fucking it wants food, and uh, so I will purposely pitch calories just a touch lower than maintenance to account for the odd slip up that they have. And that you have a slip up. You enjoy it, you own it, you move on. You don't restrict afterwards, you don't punish yourself, you just get on with it, you did it, own it, enjoy it. Um, and then gradually, within six weeks, the goal is to get them back up to maintenance above. I don't see the point in dragging it out longer than that. Four to six weeks, I want them back on even kill. It's just that probably that first like 14 to 21 days post-show post that I try and keep uh, a handle on it. The best thing that I've actually found in regard and it's not necessarily from a magical standpoint is you think of it from a psychological point of view, we've been working towards this whole goal and then we don't have a goal so the best thing i've actually said to a lot of people is first thing when you wake up for the go for a walk and you yeah. see that walk even if they've been doing it before or whatever that walk 
gets them in the right mindset of first thing, right, I need to do this, this is what happened. It gives them a bit of headspace to think about what's going on, etc. etc. We do need to realize that going for a photo shoot and things like that, there's a lot of mental like you said these dopamine hits, you know, that's one way I get a dopamine hit after your um after your uh, your photo shoot because you're actually getting a bit of time to think and unwind. And yeah. I find that tip of either going for a walk or doing some breathing or sitting down to be there with helping someone stay on track after. Um, and I honestly, like, the it, it's it's massive and the guys have been able to stay in shape and stuff, but it's so simple. But something, first thing in the morning, to get a walk or to sit down and chill out. And trust me, like, give it a go with this, that they'll, just, they'll still be in that sort of mind focus. Yeah, I, I think that's the hardest thing post-show. After your first one especially is, as you say, once it's done, it's, it's almost like you're an anti-climax. You know, you think you're right, you know, setting them up and getting straight out for a walk would be a game changer. Um, I know the mistake I made after my first ever show when I was 20, um, I didn't get given any advice. Yeah. Just eat, eat, eat. You know, the advice I was given was your body's like a sponge uh, to nutrients. Well, yeah, to fat gain. Um I, I, you know, I was told that I was going to pack on loads of muscle tissue. And what I did stupidly was I booked the seven days off. <laughs> so what that meant was I had everyone in the gym leading up to it ask me every day, oh, you're looking great, you're looking great. How's it going? How are you feeling? Are the shows this Sunday? Blah, 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 blah. And then the day before and the day off the show, you know, my phone was getting texts, good luck, good luck, good luck. Once I posted it on Facebook that night, you had the congratulations messages. This is at work. They moved on with their lives. Yeah. Monday morning, like, what do I do? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't have to go and do cardio. I don't have to eat this food. And this is, as I said, this is like young, like 20. I wasn't given any advice. Everyone's at work. You know, nobody's around. I got nothing to do. So I remember Monday, I just ate about eight to 10 bowls of cereal. And then I uh, wondered why my stomach was in bits. And then I was bored mid-afternoon. So I ordered um, Domino's pizza. And of course, it was two for Tuesdays. So I had two extra large pizzas, and at the end of a diet, you know, <laughs> leptin and ghrelin are all fucked, so you, you don't have the normal appetite response. So I'm sat there, I ordered these two extra large pizzas on the side for my parents, and I'll eat maybe, you know, half of this one. I did the whole fucking thing, and then I go to the two out of the other one, demolish that as well. Yeah. And then my friend calls me, he's, oh, you know, I heard that you're a weapon with food at the moment. Let's go out for food. Let's go for Indian. Oh, man. Good. And it's just it's a mess so i think yeah just hack into routine get straight back into work yeah. set a, you know some performance goals go out for morning walks and another thing i learned is like, that is huge another thing i learned is continue to weigh yourself yeah, yeah. you you fucked because up because I, I did i didn't do that I, I i stayed away from the scale for about eight weeks <laughs> yeah and, uh, just thinking oh yeah look fine look fine and then i jumped on the scale and i was 13 kilos above what i was at my lowest so uh one thing i would would advise is keep weighing yourself daily or regularly at least yeah i made my Just, first mistake like what you said about when you're 20 and go a bit mad and i went days later and came back oh, yeah? came back five days later after five days in amsterdam five kilos heavier uh, <laughs> and well, so mine was um after that first show mine was really extreme mine was uh 36 pounds in six days my Shit. blood pressure went to 220 over 115 um, I had to go to the hospital and have ultrasound on my stomach. You know, like when somebody's pregnant, they get the gel with a little roller. Whoa. I had to have that done to check all my organs and everything. It was fucking bad, which is why now I'm so passionate about this post-show window. 
Um, so anyone listening, this is what not to do. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Set We've got a three-part series that might be worth checking out. Um, yeah. Readers. That, that might be really useful for them. We've got three cards covering uh, training, um, the, the how to add calories back in, and also uh, the psychology mindset behind it. So that would be a really useful read for you guys. On that note, basically we'll sum it up to well called today today. Um and what I would advise anyone um after this, if you go and have a look at the RNT website, there is a ton of resources. Um again, this is how I find out about these two guys. Um and as I've said about the post show, the post shoot, their post show um guide that they have, they have a ton of other articles. So I finish off every episode with podcast ping pong. If you're a new listener, Podcast Ping Pong is basically where we cover the actionable points that you need to remember what to do. Um, so for 30 seconds, we're going to have a rally and give you the points that we covered. No one right in this episode. I need to remember dot, 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 dot. And yeah, actually apply it. There's no re- there's no point listening to this. Um, with Let Adam start. So Adam, you need to remember to not overcomplicate nutrition. For a beginner, start with a protein and calorie goal. Akash, you need to remember to get stronger in a wide variety of rep ranges. You need to remember to look at your fatigue um, and in regards to judge that with your performance. You need to remember that it's good as actually doing traditional cardio. You need to remember that you need to establish a why before you begin it. You need to remember that not every single meal needs to be meal prepped and you can add in liquid meals if needed. You need to remember that if you're hiring a coach to go all in, try sensible questions, but don't second guess. You need to remember to keep it simple in peak week. You need to remember that certain help your fat off, your hembean, caffeine, and nicotine was a one, but what was the alpha beta? What was the third one? Hiquitine? Uh, Again, I mean, I've never heard of that, but yeah. Yep. Uh, you need to remember that if you are doing a strict photo shoot or an extended diet, it is perfectly normal to have the odd food off plan. Don't be up for it. Have you any more, I guess? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think we've covered everything, right? Yeah. You need to remember hit can cover into your recovery as well. That's something you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on that note about uh, you said about a po- um, I was actually look, I was doing a talk a few weeks ago, and if someone walked ten k a day, they would walk the length of Ireland in fifty eight days. There's your fun fact. Well, there <laughs> and if they if they increased their steps by five k, they would drop in theory from that five k, um, sixteen point four pounds of uh, body fat. Really? Yeah, over a year. It's, it's to add up. Um, I saw another calculation that was the difference between just sitting doing work compared to standing doing work. Yeah, yeah. And just you know, you I gave the calculation, didn't I? The the seminar that we delivered in Manchester. Um, but it was I can't, you know, I had it all written down. But just that subtle shift. If you had like a standing desk and you did, you know, your yeah. eight hours work per day just standing, it was it was crazy the amount of additional body fat and calorie expenditure you would have. Look up Dr. James Levine. He was one of the main guys I researched, and he was the he was the creator of the sort of the treadmill desk. And before they had Fitbits, they would have uh-huh. monitored people's uh, outtake by um, their underwear. They would have tracked in their underwear, so they would have, which is a wee bit weird. And yeah, 
he was the creator of it basically he was the guy who kind of got the research he started off with um and then he found that wow interesting yeah. But yeah, so thank you very much for coming on today, guys. Where can we find you other than your website that I've already talked about? Okay, so you can find us on Instagram at rnt underscore fitness or at adamhaley1 or at akashvigela. Uh, you can also find us uh, on YouTube. You just type in rnt fitness and that's where you can watch uh, all of Adam's educational videos. And then, of course, our website for um, a lot of the educational blogs and transformations which is www.rntfitness.co.uk. And stay tuned for Adam's transformation on Tuesday because it was a serious mini-cut. Yeah, yeah, I'll put up the before and afters. It's an embarrassing one that I was going to put up a few weeks ago but then decided not to. But I think, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Awesome. Thank you for listening today. Thanks, man.